Welcome to the October 4th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 5, verses 30 through 47, and the sermon is entitled, Three Witnesses to Jesus, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, is where we are today. We are continuing through a study of the Gospel of John, this book, of course, written by the old disciple John, the longest-lived of Jesus' disciples. Most of the disciples died very young as martyrs. God allowed John to live on even into his 90s, which was an amazing feat 2,000 years ago to live that long. Uh, Today, we have 90-year-olds among us, and I'm so thankful that we do. But as we come, we know that God has blessed us with the gospel of John. John walked with Jesus. John saw his miracles. John heard his sermons. John uh, laid his head on Jesus' chest as Jesus brought forth the Lord's Supper. But by about 50 years percolated in John's mind, and God inspired him and led him, and he wrote down this biography of Jesus Christ with the intention of bringing the world to salvation through Christ and Christ alone, and millions have come because of this gospel. Uh, If you've never come to Jesus Christ yourself, today you will hear an invitation, whether you're here in person or you're listening by streaming, or in a parking lot by an FM signal, if you've never come to Jesus, you will be invited to Him to make that decision today. But we are deep into chapter 5 of John. And I have studied the Gospel of John and read it through many times, as most of us have, devotionally. It's one of the greatest words in the Bible. When a new believer comes and says, where do I start? Usually I'll say, start with the Gospel of John, as it describes Jesus' life. But chapter 5 has grown in depth to me as to what it says. Remember, all of the Bible revolves around Jesus. Amen? All the Bible's about the Savior. All of the Old Testament, from the prophets and the sacrificial system, it points to the coming Savior. And we see the uh, gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talk about Jesus and who Christ is. We see Paul give great testimony through his letters to churches and to individuals about who Jesus is. But chapter 5 is absolutely unique in your Bible because this is Jesus himself speaking about who he is. I love these words. I have been challenged by these words and by this study as Jesus tells us in his own words who he is as the Son of God. As we started into chapter 5, let me set the stage here so all of us are on the same page. As uh, chapter 5 opens, Jesus heals a man who had been crippled for 38 years at a pool of Bethesda, which is a a section of the city of Jerusalem. This man had come holding on to the last straw of hope that maybe one day lying by that pool for 38 years that he could be the first in the water when the water stirred and that he could be healed. But he laid there frustrated and becoming more hopeless through the years because it never came, it never happened. He was never healed. And then one day, a stranger comes to his side, and with seven words, his life has changed. He says, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Thirty-eight years resolved in three seconds, because he had finally met the great physician. He had met the one who is truly in charge of all healing. Amen? 
It is by Jesus Christ alone that you and I are healed, that we have the strength to open our eyes every morning and climb out of that bed and get about our day. If you today are in some sort of problem with health, some other problem in life, he is the great physician, and there is healing in store as you approach him and ask for his blessing and for his leading and for his healing. But the interesting thing about this man who was healed in three seconds, as he rose, took up his bed and walked, he didn't know who Jesus was. He couldn't even identify him when religious leaders approached him and said, who did this miracle in your life? He said, I don't know. I wouldn't even recognize him. You know what that tells us? He was healed in body and not in heart. He was healed physically. He was not healed spiritually. He got up a a healed man. He still walked around a a, a lost man. Sadly, that happened 2,000 years ago. Sadly, it happens today. People who receive the miracles of God but never see Jesus through them. How sad that is, but we see that happen there. But finally, the religious leaders who are opposed to Christ track him down and find out that indeed it is him as they find out that Jesus healed this man, but they don't celebrate the miracle. Even though they had seen this man and he was a well-known figure in Jerusalem, 38 years lying in the same spot day after day, they knew who he was. Most of Jerusalem who passed through those streets knew who this man was, finally healed. But rather than celebrate The healing that Jesus gave him, these religious leaders pulled out their law books and said, you've broken the law. You healed a man on the Sabbath day, and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. So instead of being thanked as the great physician, we're going to charge you as a criminal. Because you stepped outside of the law of God. You healed on the Sabbath day. John chapter 5, verse 16, it says that these religious leaders, scribes, Pharisees, Levites, were so opposed to Jesus that they began that day creating a plot to kill him. We see that in John chapter 5. That plot continues to develop throughout the gospel in John and finally that plot culminates on the old rugged cross. But I remind you ladies and gentlemen that the Roman government and, and scribes and Levites did not put Jesus on the cross. Love put Jesus on the cross. And Jesus himself laid down his life willingly so that we could have forgiveness. No one put Jesus on the cross. Jesus allowed himself to be put on that cross that you and I might have the hope of eternal life, that the world might have the opportunity to be saved. Praise God for a Savior who willingly laid down his life that we might be saved. We're going to celebrate that in the Lord's Supper today. But in this confrontation, this conversation, Jesus with these religious leaders who were opposed to him, the Lord tells them exactly who he is. Now, remember for centuries, these were teachers of the Jewish faith, and they had taught the Word of God, the Old Testament as we understand it. And for centuries, they recognized that the Old Testament was pointing to a Savior, to a Messiah. It is plainly laid out in the Old Testament Word. And as Jesus relates to these religious leaders and teachers, He said, you have taught the Word to all of Israel, and I tell you now, the Messiah, which you have referred to through all your teachings, is now standing with you. It is me. I am the Messiah. I am God himself in the flesh talking to you. In John chapter 5, verses 19 through 47, Jesus puts in his own words who he is. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to put a star by this, these verses. You need to dog ear this page. This is an absolute important word within the Word of God as Jesus describes himself. Now, last week we studied verses 19 through 29. Let me just give you a very short recap of what Jesus said about himself through these verses. 
Jesus tells these men that he is the Son of God the Father. He is equal to God Almighty. There is no division between him and Father God. He and the Father are one. Jesus said, just as God the Father can open the grave and raise the dead, I also can open the grave and raise the dead. I remembered something this morning right off the cuff in the early service. I want to relate it to you. Do you remember when Jesus was standing outside of the tomb at Lazarus raising? When he stood outside of the tomb, you remember that he lifted his eyes to heaven and he thanked God the Father for the miracle that was coming. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. Amen? And Lazarus did come forth even in his own grave clothes. But I want to remind you, the reason Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, if he had simply said, come forth, everybody in that cemetery would have raised. Because he has that power. He said, I will choose who I will raise. Praise God, we see Jesus exercising that power, that authority, that glory. And then he also says one day in this passage, I will be your judge. You may stand before me to oppose me, Today, but one day you will kneel before me as your judge, scribes and Pharisees. He's trying to shock them into the truth that indeed he is God who will be their judge. So today, on the heels of those words of what Jesus said about himself, we continue on. I want you to go with me to John chapter 5, starting with verse 30. And we're going to move to the end of the chapter today. Hear these words again. The great word of God as Jesus speaks about himself. Listen to these words. Start with verse 30. John chapter 5. I can of mine own self do nothing as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will but the will of the Father which hath sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Ye sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say, that ye might be saved. He's referring to John the Baptist here. He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light, But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent him ye believe not." Verse 39, circle it. Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote 
of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Again, keep this in the framework that Jesus is speaking to his detractors, to those who are opposing him. May God add his blessing to the reading of this precious portion of the Word of God spoken by the very mouth of Jesus the Christ. If you have a red-letter Bible, all of those words were in red today. Well, I want you to go back. Look at John 5, 31 again. Jesus says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. In other words, my witness is not effective. True is not the best word for we English speakers to understand. My witness is not effective, basically, is what he's saying here. Here's the meaning. Jesus said, if I were the only witness about myself, if I were the only one who witnessed to the truth that I am the Son of God, my witness would not be entirely effective. If I were the only one in the world who proclaimed myself Savior, then my witness would not be entirely effective. His word by itself, according to his, himself, is insufficient. Someone else has to give a witness to him as the Son of God. Someone else has to point to him and say, yes, indeed, his word about himself is true. This is the Savior. This is the Son of God. So Jesus said, my word by itself will not completely stand alone. I need other witnesses to point to me as the Savior. I hope you understand that. That's very important to this word in the Bible. There have to be others who agree with him that he indeed is the Savior. If this is truly the Christ, then other witnesses will stand up and say, yes, I confirm it. This is the Savior, the Son of God. You know, years ago I read, this is a, a reading that was directed to the pastor. And, the, and the, the person who wrote this said, Pastors, you need not only to proclaim yourself as the pastor and the leader of a congregation, but your congregation needs to stand up and point to you and give the witness and say, Yes, this is our leader. This is our teacher. This is our pastor. Pastor can't be self-proclaimed, but rather you need to recognize your pastor and your pastors of the church. But basically what this article said, Pastor, what you need to do every now and then, if you're the leader of the congregation, you need to turn around and make sure somebody's following you. Because if they're not, then you're lacking a witness. And you're not the self-proclaimed pastor that you should be. Jesus himself also said, I need witnesses unto me, that I might be shown to the world as the Savior. Well, who are the witnesses to Jesus' ministry? He names three of them in these verses. Three witnesses that lift him up as Lord and God. They're in verses 32 through 47. Three witnesses that point to Jesus as the Savior, the Messiah. Here's witness number one. Jesus calls witness number one to the stand, and his name is John the Baptist as his witness. John the Baptist confirmed Jesus over and over as the Messiah, as the Savior. You remember, he was the voice, according to Isaiah, that cried in the wilderness. He was the voice that broke the way and paved the way for Jesus to walk onto the scene. He was the one who said, I am not the Christ, I am not the Savior, but I am paving the way because he is entering through that door any minute. I want you to know the Messiah is on his way, and I am the one proclaiming that he is coming. I am not him, but I am proclaiming that he is coming through the door to be our Savior, our Messiah, and our God. So Jesus said, John the Baptist is my true witness. He has been a shining light. He has pointed the way to me as Savior, as the Son of God, coming from the Father. John chapter 5, verse 35, Jesus makes an interesting comment. He says to these religious leaders, again, remember, they're opposed to him and opposed to his ministry. 
He said, you know, for a season, you began to believe John the Baptist. You began to listen to his preaching. You began to hear his words, but then you turned him away. In fact, you turned him away so much that he died a martyr's death. But John the Baptist was one of the primary witnesses to the coming of Jesus the Christ, the one who stood up as the shining light saying, that is the Son of God, the primary witness. Witness number two, Jesus calls to the stand, is not a person really. The witness also proclaims him as Savior. The witness not being a person, witness number two is the miracles of God that came through Jesus Christ. The miracles of God through Christ are his primary witness. Witness number two. Look at John chapter 5, verse 36. Jesus says this, But I have greater witness than that of John. So that witness number two is a greater witness than John the Baptist, according to Jesus. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. So the second witness would be the miracles that Jesus performed as we see them laid out in God's holy word. Now, I want you to be reminded once again that that at the end of this gospel, John the gospel writer said, if I wrote down everything that Jesus did, if I recorded every miracle, every miraculous act, the world could not contain all of the books that would be written. We see the miracles of Jesus from the mountaintops, but we think about the life of Jesus Christ, and we realize that it was a miraculous life. In fact, we don't have much information at all about him from his birth till he's 30 years old, except that one little snippet of a picture when he's 12 years old in the temple. Remember? That's the closest I think he ever got to getting a whooping from his mama when he got lost from the crowd and they couldn't find him. However, if you remember that account of Jesus' life when he was 12 years old, he was teaching with authority as 12 years old to the greatest teachers of the law in the temple, and they're amazed, and, and they're brought closer to God by Jesus' words. We see a miraculous life even when he's 12, a miraculous life when he's born of a virgin. So the totality of Jesus' life is a miraculous life, and the miracles come through him. And Jesus says, when God the Father sent me, when God the Father commissioned me to lay aside my robes of glory in heaven and come to the earth and take on flesh and walk the soil of the earth, God gave me, God commissioned me with a certain set of actions that I was to do on this earth to set forth His miracles and His glory and His honor. From birth to resurrection, Jesus says, God gave me a defined set of works to do to show you his authority, to show you his lordship. When a, a person is healed at the beginning, like this crippled man, the beginning of chapter 5 of John, you see the mighty power of God in the healing. Miracles are witnesses to who Jesus is. We know that the miracles of healing still happen today. We are grateful today to know that if we have come through some life-threatening disease or some challenge, He is the great physician, and the miracles are still poured out upon us. Whenever we're healed of a minor thing or a major thing, it's a miracle of Jesus poured upon us. Amen? He's still the healer. He's still the great physician. As all the Samaritan people who were saved and forgiven in that little city of Sychar where he met the woman at the well, she went into town as a witness. They rush out to him and many people were saved. Jesus spent two days there offering salvation 
to those people. It was a miracle of God that those lost people were saved. Friends, I want you to know that the greatest miracle of Jesus Christ, the greatest miracle in all the universe, is when a soul is brought to Jesus as Savior. When a person is saved, it is still the greatest miracle of all because we're healed of hell to heaven. We're healed of guilt to forgiveness. We're healed of a life with no purpose to a life of serving Him. And we're healed of a life in hell to a life in heaven with Him. Praise God. The greatest healing of all is when every soul who comes to Him and says, Lord Jesus, I believe the cross. I believe the empty tomb. And I believe as a sinner that You can forgive me and adopt me into the family of God. I need You as my Savior. When that one says yes, it is still the greatest miracle in the universe. I pray for it to happen today, in this place, online, somewhere, that someone says yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus says, God the Father sent him to us as an ordained list of things to do, and he had to finish every one of those things before he faced the old rugged cross. I remind you of this. I said this in a sermon past. Let me say it again today. John chapter 19, verse 30. As Jesus hung on that old rugged cross, his last three words are, It is finished. He had accomplished everything God the Father entrusted for him to do in his short 33-year life here on this earth, taking on flesh. Okay, now, two witnesses then have spoken. John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, uh, he was prophesied in the book of Isaiah as the one crying in the wilderness that the Messiah is coming, one of the greatest witnesses of Jesus. But Jesus then says there is a greater witness still, witness number two. The miracles, the acts of God that have come through me speak of his authority and his power working through me because I am God himself. Witness number three, the greatest witness of all, Jesus says. I want you to look at witness number three. This also is not a person, but it is the greatest witness of all. Look at John chapter 5, go to verse 37. Third witness, and the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye, talking to his detractors, ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. Now go to verse 39. Again, search the Scriptures. The greatest witness to Jesus Christ. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So, we know Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We acknowledge before Him as we worship Him today that He is the Savior of the world, simply because the Bible tells us so. Amen? It is the greatest witness to him in all of the world. Uh, I was thinking as I studied this sermon this morning uh, of, the, of the length of time that I have been honored to study his word. I've been honored, truly honored and privileged to open this word in this pulpit for over 38 years. I studied it diligently three years in seminary. I studied it four years in college as a religion major. I studied it from Sunday school as a 10-year-old all through my life. And one thing that I have found is the more you study it, the more you need to study it. The more you study it, the deeper it's going to get. The truth of God is a mind that never has a bottom. 
You need to study. You need to be a student of the Word because the truth of God is in here. But let me say this to you. The youngest child learns the greatest theology in all of the world. The greatest witness of Jesus is learned by a little one who says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The greatest witness to Jesus Christ is this word in your lap. That's what Jesus says about himself. The greatest witness in the universe is God's word that he wrote about his son. How wonderful that is. The entire Bible, God's word, from Genesis to Revelation, revolves around Jesus Christ. He is the centerpiece. He is the jewel of the entire word of God. And so Jesus is telling these Jewish scholars, you have studied the Bible, which we know is the Old Testament. You've studied the Bible all of your career, all of your life. I'm on every page. Uh, it is holy. This is the Word of God. It is my greatest witness. But you've studied it all your life, and you've still not met me. You still won't recognize me. I'm standing before you in the flesh. You have all of this study and all of this knowledge about the Messiah coming, and you still reject me. You still won't receive me. You have all the evidence in the world, but you won't come to me as Lord and Savior, even as I stand right face to face with you. But we are reminded that as we read the Old Testament word, when God spared Abraham's son Isaac on the altar of death, it points us ahead to the fact that God would not spare his own son on the altar of the cross. Amen? It points ahead to the truth of a Messiah coming. When God called Isaiah, uh, we know that Isaiah prophesied that we have a baby that's coming to a manger and he's going to be mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We know that the Bible teaches us that the Messiah is on the way. When God called Israel to sacrifice a lamb when they're getting ready to leave Egypt out of slavery to freedom, he says, sacrifice a lamb in thanksgiving to your freedom. We know that that points ahead to the lamb that would be sacrificed on the cross for our freedom from sin. The Bible revolves around the gift of Jesus Christ to us. The prophet Micah said, if you want to know where he's born, look in Bethlehem. You will find him there. Many centuries before Jesus ever was born there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking in the fiery furnace in Daniel. And the old king Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he sees the three of those boys walking around in the fire. And he said, but there's a fourth one walking with them and he looks like the son of God. Jesus is all through every page of your Bible. It is his greatest witness. His picture, his life is right here. You know, I have had now three or four iPhones, and some of you have some other kind of phone, but most of them take pictures now. And I've noticed with every passing iPhone that the pictures get sharper and clearer. But I want you to know that the sharpest, clearest picture of Jesus Christ is right here. You know, now I'm not discouraging you from reading devotionals. I'm not discouraging you from reading books about Jesus. Please, you be a student. However, you can pick up information about Jesus, but do not neglect this word. It is the sharpest picture of the Savior we have. And we know that Jesus himself proclaims it as his greatest witness. His picture, his life contained right here and yet Jesus goes on to say to these leaders you know the Bible but you refuse to know me and he says that in verses 40 through 43 and then Jesus says this to these religious leaders in verses 45 through 47 let me paraphrase what he says he says one day you great teachers of the Bible 
you're going to stand before God Almighty. You're going to stand before God, as the Bible assures us, every single person ever born on earth one day will stand face-to-face, toe-to-toe, singly by the great God of the universe. And He will assess our life. He will assess what we've done in these earthly days. And Jesus tells these great scholars, when you stand before God, I will be there. And God has given me the right to be the judge being there. God the Father has appointed me, the Son, to be the judge. But Jesus says, I won't point a finger of accusation at you. I won't accuse you of that which you have done against me. But rather, God the Father will look at you and say, I gave you all of the word. I gave you all of the evidence. I described my son to a T. There are more than 700 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament alone. I described my son to a T. I told you where he'd be born. I told you about his life. I told you about his ministry. I told you about him being the final sacrificial lamb I gave you all of the word. My son is all over it. You've studied it for years. You got your doctorate in it. But you still rejected me. You had the greatest picture of my son, and you still turned me away. And you stand before me as lost men. You had the greatest opportunity to know me, and you turned me away. You ignored the description of my son. So Jesus, as the judge, doesn't have to point a finger of accusation and bring your sin up. He'll simply say, I honor what you have chosen about me. If you've turned me away in your earthly day, then your judgment is that you will live separated from me for all eternity. You are going to be going to hell separated from me. You will never see me again. If you rejected me on earth, you're going to be rejected for all eternity in hell. But... For the believer, when we stand before God the judge, he will say no sin has been credited to your account because when my son died on the cross and you accepted him as your Savior, your sin was expunged from the books. There is no sin. There is no charge against you. There is no finger of accusation. You chose my son, and because you chose my son, the judge says, I'm choosing heaven for you. I'm choosing glory for you, forgiveness for you, and son or daughter was going to live with me forever. Everyone chooses where they're going to live for eternity. Reject my son, you're going to live in hell for all eternity. Receive my son, you will have the joy of heaven for all eternity. That's the word of the Bible. It comes down to what we decide, what we profess as our Savior. Today, friends, as I come to the end of this sermon, I want, to, I want to simply give you this word. We need to rededicate our lives to reading this book. Devotionally, daily, allowing the word of God to implant itself in our mind and in our heart because here is the sharpest picture of Jesus. If you want to live the life of Jesus Christ, you cannot do it completely without knowing this word. You can't live for Christ completely without walking in this word. It is so vitally important to the life of Christ as we live for him as believers. You won't follow lies if you're living in the truth. So I I, I simply ask you and, and, and ask a rededication here. 
that we keep the truth in front of us every day as believers. Every sermon is important. Praise God that you come. These weekly sermons are so important, but you can't live on one meal a week, physically or spiritually. You need to be in the Word because in this Word is the perfect picture of the Savior we follow. Today, if you're here and you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, let me give you the truth of the Word. He loves you. He loves you so deeply that he went to a cross to die for your sin and my sin. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. But if you've never received him, he died on the cross. He shed his own blood that you might be forgiven this moment, this day. No matter the depth of your sin or your background, where you came from, what you did, he's willing to forgive you right now. If you'll simply come and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I believe you died for me. Personally, you died for me on the old rugged cross. You rose from the grave on the third day that I might have life everlasting. I accept you as my Savior. I lay down my sin. I lay down my will. I want to be like you, Lord. I accept you as my Savior. You come today. He publicly went to a cross for you. You publicly come. Walk down these aisles. Or if you're streaming with us today, kneel by your bedside. Kneel by that chair and say, Lord Jesus, I believe and I accept you as my Savior. It is the greatest invitation from the greatest Savior that we could ever know. Praise God, we can know him here. Praise God, we know him here. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, thank you for these moments. Thank you, Father, that you meet us no matter where we are. If we're believers, I pray you'll meet us in recommitment of our life, that we will study this greatest photograph, this greatest picture, the sharpest image of Jesus, which lays right here in our lap today. It cannot lay on a table gathering dust. We can't get it by putting it under our pillow at night. We get it by opening it and studying and letting your word speak to us. For that one who needs Jesus as Savior, Father, the invitation is simple. Just come and say, I need Jesus as my Savior, my Lord. I give you my heart. Church home, healing, whatever the need. You're bigger than our needs, and you will bless us in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.